0: He's funky. It's
1: Bob James. And you're lyrical and funky, and I'm happy to be here, Richard, well, thank with you.
0: you. First of all, I love the trio thing, and I just think it's just great and wonderful, and I really enjoyed the gig last night and uh, all of that. But what I'm going to ask you is something that I don't think too many people have asked you about, which is the fact that you're a fantastic arranger, and also nobody's ever asked you about your concept of arranging, and it's not just your music. It's the way you put it together. Can you give us your thoughts on that?
1: I don't know every time we start to talk specifically about music and the guys in my band and I have had these discussions backstage this week about how when you start to talk about it it gets to be very intimidating and some things you don't even want to think about because they just flow out of you naturally if I had to say anything brief that's what I would say that you try to make your mind blank and then go with the best instincts as soon as it becomes a theory or a formula or something then It doesn't work as well for me. Um, Having said that, to describe what I do in the writing area, arranging or composing, is uh, eclectic. I listen to a lot of classical music. I listen to funk. I listen to polka music or reggae, whatever. And stuff just comes out. You don't know when it's going to come out. And at the best moments for me is when it flows out without thinking about it
0: but I'm going to just force the issue a little bit and be obnoxious. I mean, when you were starting out, let's go back in time, not very far, of course, when you were starting, because it was only a few years ago, but when you were starting Mm -hmm. out, uh, who were the kind of arrangers who you were impressed with as as a young guy growing up and stuff? Because you did start doing a lot of commercial arranging.
1: Very much so, and I studied classical composition and arranging in college, so I had some legit theory and orchestration, learning all about the capabilities of different instruments and transposition and so on. But even in high school, there were a few records that just happened to be there in my home in this small town in Missouri where I grew up. Uh, one that I think back on immediately was a Stan Kenton album, uh, New Concepts of Artistry and Rhythm. Yeah. And that started me into Stan Kenton and all the different arrangers that I grew to admire, Bill Russo, Bill Holman, uh, etc. Johnny Richards. And I listened a lot to that in high school, even before I'd had any training with jazz arranging or anything. So I was trying to figure it out in my head what they were doing. and. Eventually I got to college and had a chance to study it a bit more formally. Uh, but I, I would say that the Stan Kenton thing, it was just a coincidental. I mean, it could have been Duke Ellington, it could have been Count Basie or whatever, but the first one was that album that just happened to be in my home and then everything else grew out of that.
0: It seems to me that not only did you go through all that, but there was a period in your life where you made the move from the music of really let's face it the past to the music of the future and during your years with CTI you were involved in making jazz contemporary and and you were one of the prime movers of that and of course you're talked about as the godfather of the smooth jazz movement and all that business but you did something that was really highly sophisticated I think at the time and what was your thinking at around that period of your life about when you were making that kind of music thinking okay how can we get these grooves to work with these harmonic situations which are of course very sophisticated and some of the melodies are very sophisticated but then the grooves were something new with that sophistication. What was your thinking at the time?
1: Well, one of the things was very much related to Creed Taylor, uh, you know, my boss, or the the producer of those recordings. And his thought was that jazz recordings, for the most part in, in that era, had been very inexpensively produced. So he decided that in order to be competitive with the pop or rock uh, albums, uh, the, there had to be more production values. And luckily, I was one of the arrangers that was working in New York City at the time doing a variety of jingle dates and stuff. Uh, But I had a jazz background, so he began to hire me to do some, I guess, gloss or uh, production type of addition to an otherwise simple rhythm section kind of recording session. So a a lot of those early recordings happened to me rather than me conceptually deciding that I was going to do it. I was the guy on the firing line when the producer said, I want more glitz, I want more uh, Hollywood, I want more whatever on these recordings. So in a way, it was like a field day for me because he had the budget to bring in strings and bring in woodwinds. And all of a sudden, I had the power to say, "Okay, I know we already have this funky rhythm track that was recorded first and we, we got the basis for the power, the jazz aspect of it. And then I had the, uh, the luxury, a week or two later, to write my arrangements based upon the form that had already been laid down in a pretty much improvised way, and, and then write a very specific orchestration score over the top of it. And I had no idea at the time what it would lead to. It was just a session that, that, that I was hired to do And it was fun, and I knew it was different. And I think I always had a very strong feeling that jazz cannot stay the same. And so even though I knew we were headed out in a different path and some aspects of it would not seem like it was jazz to purists or to people who thought that jazz should be made only in a specific way, but nevertheless, it was more exciting to me to embark on something different.
0: When you started making your own records, the, the records that we think of as Bob James records, you of course then developed a sound that was, and and I must say, arrangements that were very unique and of course a lot of people copied that concept a lot. And I think there were two kind of major guys who were doing that, both yourself and maybe Dave Grusin, mm-hmm. who were both doing different records, but utilizing the arranging concept of using these grooves and making them work in a really interesting and sophisticated way with the beautiful harmony and various uh, interesting melodies. When you started making your own records, what were you thinking about at the time?
1: One thing very specifically was that I was not thinking of myself as a leader. Even though my name was on the cover, it was uh, something that Creed Taylor had signed me he said okay I'm going to let you do your own album to me that meant be an arranger on the album and a lot of the first uh, charts that I did or decisions that I made I felt very uncomfortable playing the melody and so I was always looking for somebody Hubert Laws or Grover Washington or somebody to, to be out front so that I could write my arrangements around it and by the time I realized that the first couple of tunes that became successful like Feel Like Making Love I did have the melody and I was sort of stuck out front being the leader and and had to grow back into it uh, in college I worked mostly as a trio so I, I was used to being the front person in a conventional acoustic piano trio sure. but in this new era and the sound and the whole idea of it with the production values and everything else it still for the first three or four albums, I was uncomfortable being the out front guy. Huh. And, and I'd have to say even now, some however many years later, I still get just as much pleasure out of being an accompanist as I do at being out front.
0: Yeah, that's, that's very obvious from watching you play last night. You can see how much you enjoy that role. But I'm also very glad that you overcame your shyness <laughs> and, and became the leader that you are.
1: Well, you know, as part of it, it's like, it's like a responsibility. I mean, when I listen to other artists, I expect them to give me their stuff. And yeah. so I just felt like I can't be a coward about it. No. And I have to step out there, whether it feels... Uh, awkward at first or not, and it, it has gotten easier over the years.
0: Right. I'm glad it's gotten easier. That's, a lot of people think it gets harder, but uh, that's good. How much do the musicians that you're using influence the stuff that you're writing for a particular album or the way that you will arrange a particular album?
1: It, it's, it's everything. That's the complete essence of what I feel in some ways separates our music from other uh, stylistic things. The personality of the people involved and playing in a group the music completely changes depending on the personnel, and that's the exciting part of it. It's that dialogue that you get or the interaction that's going to be different when you're playing with with one musician as opposed to another musician. And it's one of the things that I feel is, is missing from this new era of sampling and loops and automated kind of processes with music is because those automated things don't change. And you can play over the top of them, but no matter what you play, it is gonna stay the, exactly the same. And that part to me is, is uh, one very, very important ingredient that's missing when it's not there. And, and so I, I totally look forward to the challenge of going out live and p- playing and interacting with the the great musicians that I'm lucky enough to be playing with.
0: Yeah, I, I've noticed that uh... Ever since you've been playing with Billy Kilson, who is just, you know, my favorite drummer in the world, ever since you've been playing with him, you've actually included in the arrangements of your tunes and and maybe even in the writing uh, quite a bit of, uh, well, a lot more interplay rhythmically and a lot more cute little rhythmic ideas that you uh, utilize with him.
1: If, if i can just say parenthetically it's wonderful to be talking to somebody who listens so closely sometimes we think in our music that maybe people aren't are not getting some aspects of it and when um, it so i really appreciate it and th- thank you for listening at that level certainly i agree with you 100 percent about billy and i would say um, and i hope he would say something similar is that we have grown in our friendship and in our musical collaborating over the 10 years that I've known him and I always felt special about him but I think you have to get to know somebody really well before you, you open up and they open up to you and, and Billy is a is an explosive drummer he's a, an unpredictable drummer which I really love because it's those surprises that keep you awake, that, that keep you trying to uh, go to new places, and he always does that. And I try to do it for him to, in some ways, force him to go into a new place and force him to give me all of the explosions. That's right. Uh, and so, it, it, in the best scenario, it's it's a mutually good thing for both of us.
0: And also, he's listening to you like a hawk. You mm, know, I mean, mm, he's, mm. He's, he's on everything, and when you do a little rhythmic, uh, little funny thing in there, he's on it. Like, mm-hmm. like, you know, right on top of it. And I can see the enjoyment of both of you of having those little rhythmic interplay games that you'd play. And uh, and I, I really think, in just listening to the tunes over the years, you know, if I listen to the, the albums where you're playing with him, I even notice in maybe in the writing that you're saying, hey, this would be a good idea and I know Billy's going to nail it.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. In, in reference to the piece we did today and the the... the challenge of trying to come up with something new for you for this um, encounter it's a very big part of it that we're out here on the road together that i'm experiencing his personality and the way that he swings when he plays music and influences everything and apropos of what we were talking about earlier about describing stuff yes it's fun to talk But I almost feel superstitious about talking about it too much. And when when Billy and I do the dialogues, we rarely ever talk about it Um, for the reason that if it gets too conscious and too intellectual, then it's not going to be spontaneous anymore. The same things are not going to happen. And all of the fun stuff, like you talked about, I know we really listen to each other and we look at each other visually because I get a lot off of the way Billy is He's, it's like, he's a, it's a choreography. He's a dancer, man. And we had the most fun because at the club the other night, one of the fans came in and told Billy that he reminded them of Fred Astaire, <laughs> and it was, it was the, the it was the greatest uh, you know off the wall, unpredictable compliment. And yet, it, it took a minute for it to sink in with me. But th- they were right because he's both this uh, raw, guttural player, but he's also graceful and oh, okay. and uh, rises above the music. Uh, and having said that uh, the the next night there was the inevitable time when we weren't in sync and there was a kind of a clunker and I told him that it was he was closer to Fred Flintstone <laughs> than he must have Fred Astaire at that yeah. moment
0: yeah, great the word dynamics is rarely discussed because most people just hit a groove and then they hit it but you guys i mean part of your music has always been when i introduced you and i said lyrical and funky that's really important because you get the most delicate whispers to to the funky you know down the main line grooving, but he's so sensitive to that and and he can you say explosive, but I also say I've never yeah. seen anybody play so delicately and and it's so in sync with your thing. So, Completely. So anyway, I mean, I'm just uh, totally jazzed by the whole thing. It's been very enjoyable and. Uh, of course, I'd like to talk to you for about six hours more, but in fact, I'm going to let you have lunch. So, Bob, thanks for coming along.
1: Richard, thank you so much. You're inspiring, and uh, knowing that there's somebody like you who, who listens so closely and cares about the music so much is uh, a dream for us. That's what we hope to find uh, a few times in a lifetime.
0: Well, thank you, and I have a beard, too, so, you know. There you go. That's the deal.
1: I hope we can meet many, many more times. We
0: will. We will. Thank you, Rick. Good, great. So while Bob was in the studio, he said, Hey, Rich, I just got an idea for a head for a new tune. Would you mind giving me a minute while I write it out so I can try it out with the guys? The guys, of course, being Billy Kilson and James Genus. I wasn't really about to stop him doing that, so I said, not only will I give you a minute, I'll give you all coffee and cookies. And here's the tune which, imagine my surprise later and happiness when he called the tune... Niles ahead. Here's a bonus for all you lucky Radio Richard listeners. Bob had been in my studio in 2000, and he came to the studio with the great Chuck Loeb on guitar, and they recorded a beautiful duet called Alone Together.